So today we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to get there uh, in just a minute. And, and I want to begin by telling you, a lot of y'all know me anyway, so some of this is going to be uh, similar to you but or familiar to you, but, but uh, I was raised in church. I just make that confession to you, right? I was raised in church. Uh, my, I was raised in a great home by parents who loved Jesus and loved the church of Jesus. And, and so, so I was one of those folks that I was in church from nine months before I was born. Uh, I didn't see the second half of a, uh, I mean, the first half of a Super Bowl until I went off to college and I laid out of church on Super Bowl Sunday night because at the Marshall House, you went to church on Sunday night, it didn't matter who was playing in the Super Bowl, right? And so, uh, so I, you know, I didn't even know the first half existed. We'd get home and it'd be the halftime show and then I'd watch the second half. Uh, we, we used to have revivals where revival would start on, on a Sunday morning, you'd have the revival speaker come in, and then he would preach all the way through to the following Friday night, and, and, and we went every night, and we heard that same guy every night, and, and so, so that's the kind of home that I was raised in, and, and I'm so thankful for that because that, that, that laid a foundation for me really to do what I do today, just to understand the commitment that it takes to be, to be committed to Jesus and committed to the church of Jesus. And, and so, so that's the that kind of home I was raised in. But, but I will admit to you that part of that, part of that background, in some ways it kind of messed up my thinking a little bit, and it messed up my theology a little bit. And here's, here's where that came in. Uh, so when we would have those revivals, we would have uh, a, a guest pastor come in, and uh, he was usually, you know, some, man, he would hoot and holler and, you know, clean off a spot and pitch a fit and the whole, whole deal. And then they would have a special musician come in because I guess our music minister, it wasn't good enough for him to lead, you know, the hymns. And so they have a special musician come in. And then at our church, I don't know if your churches did this during revival, uh, they would have like a guest testimony one night. And it was always like some dude who had been in the Hells Angels before Jesus saved him, or just some crazy stuff, or, you know, I remember we had uh, a guy one time, and this guy, he still uh, teaches, in fact, I think, I think Laurie's dad knew this guy, uh, he, he was, had like part of his body blown apart at Vietnam, had a, had a patch over his eye, and I mean, just as a kid, that makes a huge impression, a dude coming up there with one arm and a patch over his eye with his military uniform on, and, and so we'd have all this kind of stuff, and, and those things were all good, but here's, here's kind of the way those tests testimonies went not all of them but this was kind of went this is what I heard so the testimonies kind of followed this path it was something along the lines of you know I was I was born uh, and left in a box on a corner in New York City uh, you know I, I was somehow crawled out of that box on my own and uh, and by age five I was selling meth and and then you know by then the age of 12 uh, you know, I was, I was running a, a gambling operation, and then by the age of, of 20, I was living on the streets. I'd lost everything. I was addicted to pills and, and to booze and, and to women, and, and, and I, was, I was all alone, and I crawled into this, this dumpster to find something to eat and to sleep for the night, and then I came across a Bible that the Gideons had left there in that dumpster, and, and, and I opened it up. And it just opened to John 3.16 and I read, For God so loved the world and I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm, I'm married. I've got six beautiful kids. I drive a Mercedes and everything is rainbows and stars and, and clouds and wonderful stuff, right? And that was kind of the way those testimonies always seemed to go. They followed this path of everything was terrible before Jesus and then Jesus came and then everything was smooth and easy and life was good. 
And, and there's, a, there's a problem that came into my life when I started to hear that over and over again. And that was, I really began to kind of believe that that was true. And that was reinforced, and not in a bad way, but that was reinforced by my parents and my Sunday school teachers and all that kind of taught me, here's these rules you follow. If you follow these rules and do these things, then bad stuff will stay away because you'll be following Jesus and you don't have to worry about bad things coming in your life as long as you follow these rules. Kind of the don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with girls who do kind of stuff, right? And, and so, so, th- so that, was, that was all kind of imprinted into my brain and into my mind. And as I went along in life, that's, that's what I, I thought, that, that following Jesus made life easy, that Jesus brings success. And you even see that teaching today in some churches. Uh, th- there's whole churches that are built on that teaching. I, I won't mention a guy by name, but his initials are Joel Osteen, who, you know, his, his entire... His entire church and, and these books that he writes, it's all about just think positively and Jesus deserves to give you things and, and do all this stuff and, and then that's what's going to happen for you. Uh, here's a problem with all of that. It's not biblical. In fact, not only is it not biblical, it, it's not even practical to believe that that's true. Here's what's biblical. James 1-2 says this, and there's a ton of other verses. This is just one that I wanted to pick out to kind of set the stage before we get to the book of Acts, and, I can, and we can follow a story like this. But James 1-2, James is the brother of Jesus. This is, this is not James. When you hear Peter, James, and John, this is not that James. This is a different James. This is James who is the brother of Jesus. So I, I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus had, had brothers um, that, that were born, Jesus was the firstborn to Mary, whose, God, whose father was God, whose stepdad was Joseph. But then Joseph and Mary had some of their children that Joseph was the father of. James was one of those. And James grew up, he was a skeptic of Jesus. And wouldn't you be? It's like, this dude, my older brother, now he says he's the son of God? Yeah, right. You know, you're, who, I would be a skeptic too. But then he became one of the strongest followers of Jesus and one of the biggest leaders in the early church. And he wrote this book, uh, the book of James that you ought to read in the New Testament on your own. But I just want to read this one verse. James 1, 2 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Here's the first thing I want you to remember today. Pain is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. Notice there that James doesn't say, count it all joy, my brothers, if you have a trial come into your life, if difficulty finds its way into your life. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because all of us are going to experience things in our life that are painful. All of us are going to have trials come into our life, things that we think we can never make it through on our own. And the fact is, it's hard to make it through on your own that you need Jesus to help you with that. But, but you're going to have pain that's going to come into your life. Now, there's some of you out here that I'm looking at, and I know some of your stories, and some of you are thinking, Cliff, you don't have to tell me that pain is inevitable. And I know I don't. Some of you know what it's like 
to go through cancer. Some of you know what it's like to, to sit beside the bedside of a, of a parent that, that is, has Alzheimer's and they're dying and they don't even know who you are when they look at you. Some of you know what it's like to get a call in the middle of the night to find out that, that your child's been arrested or, or, your, or your kid come home and you find out he's been kicked out of, or she, he or she's been kicked out of school. Some of you understand what that's like. You know what it's like to lose a spouse, to lose a child, to lose a best friend. You've, you've experienced those things. So I don't have to tell you that pain is inevitable. There's others of you that you haven't yet experienced that, and I would just say hold on. Just hold on and be ready because we cannot escape this life without dealing with some pain. And, and, it's, and here's, here's the, the thing about that that can be difficult for us is that if we have this bad theology like I was raised with, and let me just say this, by the way, I don't ever think that the people at my church or that my Sunday school teachers sat in a room and said, hey, we're going to teach bad theology. and we're gonna... it's, just, it's just they were trying to focus so much on the goodness of God, which is awesome, that, that they left out the part that even though God's good, sometimes life is not good, and, and they left that part out. But, but, um, but so when we focus so much on that, and when you have that kind of put into your life like I did, and it's imprinted into your life, that what happens is then when bad things happen to us, which is inevitable, then we compound those bad things with guilt because we start thinking, you know, if I just loved Jesus more, this wouldn't be happening. If I was really committed to Jesus and if I was truly a follower of him, I, he wouldn't let bad things come into my life. In fact, that's an old way of teaching that went all the way back to the Old Testament that, that scholars and all they call the Deuteronomic ideal. And the Deuteronomic ideal was that people believed back in the Old Testament times, if you were born blind or, or if you had something bad come in your life, it's because there was some kind of sin in your life. And that's the reason God was punishing you for those things. But that is bad, bad theology. See, there are things that will happen to us that are inevitable. Now, there are other things that happen to us that we create. That's a different category, okay? We'll put that over here. That's the category of that we all sin, and we do things we're not supposed to do. And, and when we sin, there are consequences of sin. So if you're thinking, wow, you know, this is just so bad. I, had, I lost my job, and, it, you know, it's just unbelievable that I lost my job, but you were stealing from the company. That's not just pain coming into your life. That's the consequence of sin. There's a difference in that. But there are then other things that have nothing to do with the consequence of our own sin. It could be created by the sin of someone else. It could be created just by the fact that we live in a broken, sinful world. But sometimes things happen to us that, that you had no control over. And this pain can come into your life. I got a friend of mine that I work with named Ron Barker. Ron's a Ron's a older older than me. It's not that much older than me now. I guess he's in his early sixties. And uh, and Ron Ron says it this way: in the, in the middle of following Jesus, life happens. And I love that. In the middle of following Jesus, life happens. He said sometimes you can be following Jesus. <clears throat> excuse me, just as committed as you can be, doing what you know God has called you to do on the path he's called you to do it, and in the middle of that, something comes out of left field and life happens, and difficulty comes your way. So if all that's true, then what's the good news? What is the good news of this? And that's where we're going to get to the book of Acts. And, but I want, to, I want to transition to that by just telling you a silly little story, just make, helping you think through this. So, so I want you to imagine with me, if you will, just, just put everything else aside and imagine with me, that, that I'm building a deck onto my house, 
All right, my, my old deck has been there since we built the house. It's getting kind of old, so, so I've torn it off, and I'm going to build a deck, and you're going to help me build this deck. Actually, you're going to build the deck, and I'm going to help you because I don't have the skills. And so, so we're going to build this deck together. And, and then we've got this other friend named Earl, and Earl's going to help us too, right? Earl's just a good old boy, and, uh, and he's going to help us build the deck. So you and me and Earl are going to build this deck. And, and, I, and I say to you, hey, listen, don't worry about getting any of the supplies. I've given Earl a list, and uh, he, he's going to Lowe's, and he's going to come back with everything we need. So, so I've given Earl a list. We're going to have lumber and, and, and nails and stain and, and concrete to set the posts and all that kind of stuff. And I've sent Earl to Lowe's. And so we're there at the house getting ready to work, and Earl comes rolling up. And instead of lumber and stain and nails and all that, Earl gets out, and he's got some bags of food. And we're like, what is this? And Earl pulls out. He's got moon pies, and he's got Vienna sausages and saltine crackers and RC colas. He's got, like, the dream, you know, redneck lunch right there. And, and that's what he pulls out. And I'm like, Earl, what are you doing, man? We, we need supplies to build a deck. He said, yeah, but I was a little hungry. I thought y'all might be hungry. And so you, and you're like, well, yeah, that's true, but we can't build a deck out of these supplies. Now, that's just silly to think about, right? That's just a kind of silly story. But I, want, I just want you to think about it this way. It would take a miracle to build something out of the stuff that Earl brought to us. You can't build anything out of saltine crackers and Vienna sausage and RC colas. Throw some moon pies in there. Can't build anything out of those either. Those are delicious though, right? You can't build out of that though. It would, it would take a miracle to do that. You might be here today and you might be thinking about the stuff in your life. Just who you are. The stuff you've been through. The stuff that's upcoming that you think you're going to be going through. And you might think, you know what? How can God use that? How can God use any of that to do something for his kingdom, to do something of eternal value. And I want to tell you today that God can make a deck out of Vienna sausages. God can make a deck out of moon pies. God can make something beautiful and useful out of your pain and difficulty. He does it all the time. And, and so today I want you to know that your new beginning may be born out of a painful place. Your new beginning may be born out of a painful place. And that's where we're going to look at the book of Acts and, and see, where, see where God did that. See, for you to have a new beginning, here's, here's the beauty of, of Jesus and the beauty of the, the story of the gospel. For you to have a be- new beginning, you don't have to get your act together first. You don't, you don't have to clean yourself up for Jesus to give you a new beginning. I think that's one of the great lies that, that the devil tries to tell us. That we try to, we, we think, you know what, there's some stuff I'd like to do or maybe think I could do, but I've got to get this, this, and this taken care of before God can use me. And God says, just bring it all to me. Bring your, your old nasty Vienna sausages and moon pies and RC colas and watch what I build out of it. Watch what I make out of your mess. So in the book of Acts, so here's the deal. You've got the first, first four books of the New Testament, all four guys' names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those books the Gospels. Does anybody know, and I, I hope you do because I used to say this all the time when I was a pastor. I hope somebody remembers. What is the word gospel? It's a big fancy word. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Awesome. Some of y'all remember. Very good. 
Yeah, the word gospel means good news. And so, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four books that are talking about the good news of the story of Jesus. So they tell the story of Jesus' birth, his life on earth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and, and it promises that he's going to come again one day. So that's the, that's the story of those four books. It's the story of the gospel. So then we move into Acts, and, and the book of Acts, the full name of it is actually the Acts of the Apostles. So, so it's a story of what happens after Jesus left the earth and, and how his apostles, his followers, uh, how, how, they, how they began to follow him. And by the way, there, you have apostles and disciples that's, it's kind of the same thing, except apostles were guys who saw Jesus and who got to talk face-to-face with Jesus. All of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. You're not yet an apostle. If you are an apostle, I want to know about it, and next time you're face-to-face with Jesus, I want to be invited to that, right? But, but one day, we will all be apostles because we'll get to go and be face-to-face with Jesus in heaven. But for right now, we're disciples. So you've got these apostles. The guys that he chose and, 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 and that followed him for three years and while he did his ministry. And so when you get to the book of Acts, you get to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to read this. And this is Jesus' final words to his apostles before he left. And he says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So at this time, you've got about 120 followers of Jesus. That was the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, about 120 folks. And he tells them, you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to do this right here in Jerusalem where they were standing, and you're also going to do it in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you, if you were to look at a map of, of the Holy Land at that time, Jesus was kind of drawing a bigger circle with every word he said. So Jerusalem was a small circle, be like saying, you're going to be my witnesses in Greer, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, so then you draw the circle a little bit bigger. Maybe that would be, you know, Greenville County or South Carolina, a bigger circle. And then you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria, so you draw the circle even bigger. And then the circle finally was, was made as big as it can be to say, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so, so the, the, uh, <clears throat> the apostles take this message. Jesus leaves. He goes up into a cloud back to heaven. There's some angels standing there after it happens, and they, they look at at the apostles and said, what are y'all doing staring up in the clouds? Go get to work. So, so they leave, they go, they're hanging out together in Jerusalem. It says they're gathering together to pray, to pray over what, what Jesus wants them to do next. The day of Pentecost comes. Pentecost was a, a Jewish celebration that they, they participated in every year. All these people showed up from all over the region to come to Jerusalem to be there at the temple. Well, then at, at, at Pentecost, Peter stands up and he, he gives a message. And Peter preaches much shorter than I'm preaching you today. In fact, Peter preaches for about five minutes. And at the end of his five-minute message, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So the, the, the church went from 120 folks to 3,000. So they went from a normal-sized church to a mega church overnight, just like that. And, it, and they didn't do a mail-out. 
They didn't bring in a special guest speaker. They didn't ride a motorcycle or put a coffin up on stage or anything like that. They just preached the gospel. The Spirit showed up, and 3,000 people were saved. So now they're riding high. This is amazing. Can you believe it? And then we read in Acts 2, 42-47, there's a great description of what the church was like at that time. And it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that's just a great description of what church should look like. And when I read that, I think, man, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Uh, but, but sometimes we fall a little bit short of that, don't we? It, it, you know, just from time to time. I know we're a great church, but sometimes we fall just a little short of that. But that's what was going on. And so then from Acts 3 to 6, I'm not going to read any from Acts 3 to 6, but I'm going to just give you an update of what's going on. So so you've had the church went from 120 believers to 3,000 believers. (coughs) Excuse me. You've got everyone is is sharing uh, their possessions with with each other so that no one has need, that they're enjoying the favor of all the people. All this good stuff's happening. Then crazy things start happening. People, uh, Peter and, and some of the other apostles, all of a sudden they're able to heal people when they're sick, and so there's healings going on. It says that Peter preached again, and it says that 5,000 more people got saved. Now, it's hard to tell from the way it's written if that means 2,000 in addition to the earlier 3,000 or another 5,000, but here's what we know. It had been 120. Now it's anywhere from five to 8,000 people strong is what the church is, and it's still all right there in Jerusalem. And so now you've got this new group of folks and then they start getting arrested. The people that go out to teach, Peter, James, John, some of these guys, they go out to teach and the, and the, Roman, uh, the, the Roman leaders there, they start having them arrested because they're teaching that someone is a king other than King Caesar. They're teaching that Jesus is the real king and so they're arrested because of that. But every time they're arrested, the church gathers together and they're released. So Peter is, is, is arrested. They say, you got to quit talking about Jesus. And Peter says, I can't do it until God tells me not to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. And they release him. And then, and then crazy things happen. Peter is walking along. Someone comes into his shadow, and they're healed just by being in the shadow of Peter. Just nuts, crazy stuff. There's no financial needs because people are selling stuff. So if, if, uh, if David Fawcett you know, can't make his car payment, which y'all, if y'all know David Fawcett, he will never have a car payment. He pays cash for all his vehicles. But, but if David Fawcett had a car payment and he couldn't make it, Mark Johnson would say, you know what, I'm going to sell my kayak this month so that David can. And if y'all know Mark, he would not sell his kayak for David <clears throat> but that's why it was so amazing that it was going on right it's just and, and so that kind of stuff was happening all the time and people were selling and giving it to other folks in the church that had need and it was just this great time to be a part of the church and and uh, and then things were happening like uh, somebody showed up to give to the offering and they were lying about what they were giving and God struck them dead in front of everybody just nuts crazy things happening so there was all this excitement all this supernatural power going on in the church between the the chapters of Acts 3 and Acts 6. And then there was the first problem in the church was a dispute among some of the little old ladies. 
Now, have y'all ever been in a church where there was a dispute among some of the little old ladies? You know, I know I haven't. Uh, maybe y'all have. <clears throat> and so there was a dispute among some of the widows and, and who was getting the most food. And well, the Jewish widows were seeming to get more preferential treatment than the Greek widows. And, and so there was a problem with that. So the church, the, the leaders got together and said, you know, what? we need to appoint some godly men to be servants to make sure that this doesn't, uh, you know, continue to be a problem. These guys were called deacons, and uh, they were not the leaders of the church. They were the servants in the church. And so one of the deacons was a guy named Stephen. Stephen is an extremely godly man. And so Stephen, <clears throat> in addition to, to being a servant at the church and making sure the, the widows were taken care of, he was also preaching the gospel publicly like the other leaders of the church. And while he was preaching the gospel publicly, he was arrested. Now, here's the deal. Remember, up to this point, there had been other guys arrested. And every time they were arrested, what would the church do? They would gather together, they would pray, and then they were released. Every time before Stephen was arrested, any time a member of the church was, was arrested for teaching the gospel, they would then be released. So Stephen, he's preaching, he's arrested. They bring him before the court, and he gives this message that it's in the beginning of Acts chapter 7, and it's long. And he details the whole history of the Jewish church all the way back to the Old Testament. And then he gets all the way to Jesus, and he concludes his message by saying to all these Roman leaders, and y'all, he didn't say y'all because he wasn't, maybe it was South Jerusalem, I don't know. But, but he says, I would say, he said, y'all killed Jesus. You're responsible for the death of the Son of God. I mean, it's like a hardcore invitation that he gave there at the end now before i tell you what happens next let's go just sidebar here for a second where were the places that jesus said the the disciples the apostles would be his witnesses where were they you can say it out loud i'm asking because i really want you to answer jerusalem judea samaria and the ends of the earth where has all this great stuff from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 6, the healings, the thousands of people saved, the sharing of each other's possessions, all that stuff, where has all that taken place? Geographically, where did that happen? Jerusalem. Not in Judea, not in Samaria, not to the ends of the earth. So great stuff was happening. The church was doing what Jesus wanted them to do, but they weren't yet completely fulfilling the mission that he gave them because they were still in this one geographical area. So Stephen's arrested. He, te- he gives this message, and then this is what happens. Acts 7, 57 through 60. But they cried out. This is the people listening to Stephen. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And just so you know, that means they picked up rocks and they threw rocks at him with the intention of hurting him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep which is a nice way of saying that he died. It's like when we say someone passed away, what we're saying is they've died. And so Stephen was killed. So instead of him being arrested for teaching the gospel, the church gathering together to pray, and he's released, 
He's arrested for teaching the gospel. I'm sure the church was praying over his release, but he's killed. Now, can you imagine the next week at the little old lady's Bible study there at First Baptist Jerusalem? Because we know they were Baptists because it was Jesus' church, right? Uh, <clears throat> so at First Baptist Jerusalem, there's Peter's mother and there's Stephen's mother sitting side by side. And Peter's mother is talking about how her boy has been arrested multiple times for preaching the gospel, but he's still here. And Stephen's mother has just lost her son. He was only arrested once, but he was killed for it. Now, how do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of the fact that pain came into one lady's life and it seemed to not come into another lady's life. By the way, I totally made all that up. You won't find Peter's mother or Stephen's mother mentioned in Scripture. I'm just trying to help set the scene. But how do you make sense of all that? And then what happened after Stephen was killed? Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now, do you see what just happened here? Do I have to connect the dots or do you already see what just happened here? That a terrible, tragic thing that was against the will of God, all right? It, it's, I, don't, I don't believe that God said, I'm going to have Stephen get stoned, right? It's that God allowed that to happen. He knew it was going to happen, but instead of stopping it, he, it, but it was not what his plan was from day on, day one. But then what God does is he uses pain, he uses something terrible to, to accomplish the mission that he had given the church from the beginning. So now all of a sudden you've got this group of people that they were doing great things, but they were doing it just right there in their hometown, and nobody really wanted to go out. Nobody cared enough about the folks in Judea. Nobody cared enough about the folks in Samaria. Samaria to go out and carry the message of the gospel to them. But Jesus made sure that it happened because as soon as it happens, this persecution breaks out and the Roman government thought that they were doing something to stop the church with the persecution, but God used the very thing they were doing to stop the church to spread the church and make it worldwide. It could not be stopped. And so God used the difficulty to make his name known. And here's the great thing. So that means there were anywhere from 5,000 to 8,000 people now that have left and have gone and shared the gospel. And in, in Acts 8, 4, it says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So they didn't just leave and go into hiding. If it was me, I might have been thinking, you know what? They're arresting people. I'm going to kind of stay on the down low, and I'm going to go find a place to hang out and, and not l let anybody know who I was. But no, they went about preaching the word. So, so these folks, they didn't go into hiding. They went into ministry. They didn't go into hiding. They went into ministry. And, and they went out, and they began to live their life on mission for Jesus in the midst of a difficult time. And so you see where Jesus took and he created a new beginning from the, for them from their pain. Not just from any pain, but from probably what was the worst pain they had ever experienced. Imagine being a part of a great church, being a part of community, and you have to leave it all behind. Go somewhere where you've never been. Leave all your possessions. Leave all of your friends behind and just run for your life. 
But Jesus used that very pain to do something amazing so that his name would be spread. See, running from, from your, being, you know, the persecution breaking out and God using that pain to do something great would be like you having cancer and when you go to your, your treatments every month that you have to go to and you're just sitting there with all the other folks that you're able to share the gospel with those people that you're in those cancer treatments with. That's like if you lose your job and you have to take a part-time job at Home Depot, and it's really not where you want to work, but you got to do something to make ends meet, then instead of just working at Home Depot part-time, that you start a Bible study with some of the guys that you work with there. That's what it's like. It's taking the pain that came into your life out of your control and allowing Jesus to redeem it and to do something amazing with it. See, he can turn your pain into a new beginning. He can turn your pain into a new beginning. And I want to tell you something, and this is something that, that I have to remind myself of all the time. That is that, that God never allows anything to go to waste. He never allows anything to go to waste. Whether it was a terrible decision you made a long time ago or this morning, or whether it was something that came into your life that you had no control over whatsoever, God never allows any of that to go to waste. He will use it for his glory and ultimately for your good. But we can't fight him on that. We've got we've to trust and we've got to allow him to do that. I was, I was honored when Joseph asked me to fill in and teach for him. And the last time I taught here, he gave me a topic. He said, we're talking about pride, and I want you to talk about pride. And I said, well, I'm proud to do that. I'd be proud to talk about pride. <laughs> but today, for this week, he said, hey, we're, we're going to start a new series, so you can either kick off the new series, or you can just talk about whatever you want to talk about. I said, I want to talk about whatever I'm going to talk about. And, uh, and here's why. Um, one of my friends who's started a church asked me to, to fill in for him earlier in this summer, and I wrote this message for them. But I wrote it because it's what God's been doing in my life. And um, just going through a very, very difficult time and understanding and believing through that difficulty that God's at work. That God has not forgotten about our family. He's not forgotten about me. He's not forgotten about my daughter. He's not forgotten about Sherry. But that he's at work through the pain. He's at work through the difficulty. And, and I, so I wanted to share that with you to encourage you today. God never lets any of that stuff go to waste, and he's going to bring something good out of it. And then I want to share one more verse with you. And I had already written the end of this message, like I said, several months ago. But I was with a friend earlier this week, and he was sharing with me from the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter 5.1 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And the part that stuck out to me is that Peter said to him, was, what Peter was writing was, he said, I'm a partaker of glory that's yet to be revealed. I can't see it yet. 
I can't put my hands on it yet. I haven't experienced it yet, but I believe that it's coming, and I'm already a partaker of it. I'm already participating in the glory of God that's going to be revealed one day. And that's where we are. That's where I am. That's where all of us are. There's a greater glory coming. And we are already partakers of it, even though we're not living in it yet. Even though we have aches and pains and difficulties and sadnesses and all that stuff, we are still participating in a greater glory that's coming for us one day that's going to be revealed later and that we get to be a part of. So I am praying for myself and I'm praying for you that this week we will all live as partakers of a glory that we can't yet see, but we'll live as if it's real because we know it's coming.